welcome to Marvelous Mysteries, the podcast. I'm Rebecca. And I'm Jaden. Um, and this is a podcast where we're just, um, on this episode, we're going to cover just unsolved mysteries that we both found. Um, and since it's Halloween, we're going to do a few Halloween icebreakers just to get us, like, in the mood for talking and get into a better rhythm, since this is also the first podcast we're recording. Uh... Yeah, sorry. So I found a Halloween theme. Would you rather? I don't. We'll just do this one. <laughs> I didn't really look that hard, but okay. So there's 20 questions on. We don't oh, have to do well. all of them because <laughs> <laughs> let's just do. <laughs> we can just do a few. Well, I guess it also depends on if we're gonna explain each of our choices. Yeah, let's okay. start. <laughs> Anyways, so the first one is: Would you rather walk through a graveyard at midnight or spend the night in a spooky abandoned house? Um, I do graveyard. Yeah, I, but I wouldn't walk. Yeah, you could just run right through <laughs> that any time. I would not walk. I would run. <laughs> yeah, that's what I would do too. Okay, uh, dunk for apples or carve a jack o' lantern. Um, I think I'd rather carve a jack o' lantern. Yeah, dunk I don't for like, apples is kind of it's unsanitary. cold and nasty, and everyone like spits in it too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, would you rather be allowed to eat as much? Halloween candy as you want for a week, but then have what's, but then have what is left taken away, or be allowed to eat only one piece a day, but never have it taken away. I mean, I like as I'd... much as I want, I think, because like, I don't care if it's taken away at the end. If I just like binge on it, yeah. If I binge yeah. it, that's what I, I do like, when I was little. I say I think I did that one, most when I was little too, so I don't think I would really care. But yeah, uh, would you rather? I did it just shut off on us. I think it, it just I think out? it just timed out. Okay. Um, would you rather be a vampire or a werewolf? Vampire. I get. Because of Twilight. I'm already really... No. <laughs> I was just kidding. <laughs> I was going to say. I was like, girl. <laughs> no. Um, I guess... I don't know. vampire... I don't know, I guess. Actually, I don't want to turn into, like, a wolf. I don't wolf. go out in the sun that much anyways. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess you die in the sun, technically. I don't know. I, I don't guess. know what should be worse. Yeah, because are you... Un- Harry Potter. I know, that's what I'm thinking about. <laughs> and he, like, was uncontrollable. Yeah, I guess it depends on, like, is it, like, serious Black, kind of? Mm-hmm. Or is it... This is a short day, Harry Potter, yeah. I guess. <laughs> okay, and then would you rather meet a vampire or meet a werewolf? Um, well, if it's like Harry Potter, I think I'd rather... Werewolf. Yeah, I don't know, like, cause, and I do I, I just would... meet, do I meet, like, a literal werewolf or the human when they're in werewolf form? Yeah. Because I'd rather do that, cause if a vampire, like, really wants to kill me. It's yeah. a little thirsty. Yeah, I know. <laughs> okay, um, I'm just gonna stop at 10, how about, so there's a few more, but we're okay, not gonna do all 20, it. cause that's too much. <laughs> uh, would you rather read a spooky story or see a spooky movie? Definitely story. Yeah, I like stories. I don't like jump scares at all. Because they get really scared, like, surprised really easily, so I don't like that. I don't think I've really seen that many spooky movies, but I also just don't like... Like, it's not something I would just mm-hmm. go and see anyways. I don't know. Like, I like reading, like, Edgar Allan Poe stuff sometimes. I haven't in a long time, but, like, in school I like that. And I guess that's kind of considered spooky, right? Or is it more eerie? Yeah, I mean, that's spooky. I like, yeah, I like suspense, but I don't like, like, literally being scared, which is a lot of, like, spooked or whatever, surprise, which is what a lot of Halloween movies are. Um, would you rather have a costume that is really amazing, but also very uncomfortable, 
or have a cast net is not anything all that special, but it's comfortable to wear. Definitely the second one. Comfortable. I definitely be more, I would want to be more comfortable. I hate dressing up anyways. In costume. Oh, okay. I just, I don't know. I mean, my jeans are uncomfortable, but, um. <laughs> my jeans are uncomfortable. Yeah, I, I do unbutton them sometimes. Um, but I guess I'd rather be comfortable right now, because none of my costumes are that cool anyways if I do dress up. I feel like, I'll say because we were talking about earlier, the costumes, I was going to say, because there was one costume that my mom made that was like, I was a bluebird, like that was my costume, <laughs> but like I got to wear like a sweatshirt and sweatpants and it was like the most wonderful thing in my life. <laughs> yeah, I would pick elaborate costumes and, um. I mean, it just depends on how cool it's, if it's yeah. like sweet looking, I'd probably rather be a more uncomfortable because I'm like... It depends on what I'm comfortable too because like I can't... If it's like itchy, I can't take it. Yeah. If it's just a little tight or something or like I can't sit very well, that's fine, I guess. But, yeah. Um, would you rather have a homemade costume or a store-bought one? Um, it depends if I have to make it or not. <laughs> it, I mean, yeah. I guess I don't care, but... um. I, a homemade would be cool. I never had a homemade. We just bought oh, ours, really? but now, yeah. I think, like I said before, I think our mom usually made a lot of our younger ones, and then kind of as we got older, she's like, I don't know if, if we just didn't have enough time or something like that, but then we kind of started buying mm. just from the store ones. So I guess, but I guess mine would probably be the homemade, yeah, because it's more customizable. Yeah, and that's kind of cool, too. But, um... I'm going to skip that one. We're just going to do nine today. <laughs> okay. Would you go... Oh, no, that one's stupid, too. Well, let me just find one. Oh, here we go. Would you rather sleep in a coffin or live in a giant pumpkin? Um, I think I'd rather live in a giant pumpkin. <laughs> yeah, because I think I would get really claustrophobic and um, freaked out. Unless it's, like, comfy and open. It's just a small bed, but yeah, I think I'd rather that'd be interesting to live in a giant pumpkin. Okay, all right. We're going to do one more because this one just... You need to know. <laughs> just, would you rather eat six? Oh, rather eat six fish eyeballs or have to eat a small frog? Oh, <laughs> I think fish eyeballs. Unless is the frog dead or alive? It doesn't specify. Okay, because if it's alive, I can maybe do it. But if it or if it's dead, I I'll can maybe do it. But if it's alive, I cannot eat an alive frog. Yeah, like, but I think I'd rather eat the eyeballs anyways, because it'd just be like grapes. Like just swallow those. Swallow them whole. Mm-hmm. Or like, yeah. have you ever had those things, in, like your frozen yogurt or something? They're like berries, and they just like burst. Oh no! But I once had yogurt when I was younger. Not really young, but I had like a yogurt cup that had like the fruit chunks in it, and I literally almost threw up. So I was <laughs> gagging so much at the texture of it. Okay. <laughs> what would you rather do? I think I guess the fish eyeballs, because yeah, you could kind of swallow them whole. And I don't know when they say small frog, they mean like itty bitty or like. And then is it alive or dead? <laughs> um, okay, well, that was fun. So, yeah. so we're going to do for the intro part. Um, do you want to start? Yeah, I can okay. start. Um, so uh, for mine, I chose the disappearance of Stephen Damon. Um, so Stephen Craig Damon was born December 15th, 1952. He was born in Iowa. His father was Jerry and his mother was Marilyn. And he had a younger sister named Pamela. They lived, um, they eventually moved. They moved to a small town of East Meadow in New York. Um, his father was in the Air Force and he was stationed there. That's why they moved. 
Um, so it's just a little small town, New York. Not, I don't think there's like anything special about it. But um, so October 31st, 1955, um, Marilyn Damon went to the store, his mom, and she just left his, her kids outside and told he told Stephen to look after his baby sister. So at the time, he's two and a half, and she's like seven months old. But it was 1950s, so that was really common then. Um, now, not so much. But um, while his mother was inside the store, for just like 10 minutes, she came out, and both of her kids were gone. Um, his sister was found a few blocks down the street, totally unharmed, but Stephen was nowhere to be found. Um Marilyn called the police, and eventually, like, when they came, eventually more than 5,000 people, both police officers and um, citizens, turned up looking for Stephen, but um, they couldn't find him. Uh, so, at first, they thought that he was kidnapped by a mother who was whose child had died, and she was looking to replace her child, which is... Um, kind of specific? I don't... That must have been... I mean, I'm sure it's common now, even... But they must have dealt with it before. But, (laughs) (laughs) like, common common. enough that it's a thing for them to say. Like, to say that, though. But, um, they looked at lists of children who had recently died. Um, and their moms, as well as, like, sex deviants. That's in quotes, because that's what they said at the time in the area. But neither of those avenues ever went anywhere. Um, at 6.30 p.m. on November 1st, which was 28... Eight hours after the search began, they called off the search and pronounced it as a kidnapping. So, I'm guessing that just means that they're looking into other, like, thing, like other avenues rather than just, like, he's somewhere around. Mm-hmm. Um, so, about a month later, later the Damon family uh, received ransom notes demanding money in exchange for Stephen. They first asked for $3,000. Then they wrote two more letters asking for ten thousand and fourteen thousand. Um, the family did everything they could to try to get it um, to get the money, but Jerry Damon, the dad, thought it was a hoax at the start. Um, they had received they received several letters um, that were similar in nature, but they never led to anything. And those initial um, notes ended up being college students that were just, like, kind of playing a prank on them. Um, and then any other things they received, it didn't lead to anywhere. So, um, the family, like, made pleas to the kidnappers, like, uh, in the media and stuff, asking to make sure he had his vitamins and medicine, because he was anemic, too. So, um, yeah, so they never found him. There have been, like, several sightings, um, reported just around, um, for boys that just looked like him or whatever, but none of them have ever led anywhere. So the biggest lead that they found was in February of 1957, which was a boy's body was wrapped in a blanket found in the woods um, in Philadelphia. Um, It was in a cardboard box. Um, His hair was recently cut after death, possibly, because there's a bunch of hair all over the body. Um... And there are signs of malnourishment. Um, and there are several scars on the boy. Um, they discovered it because this young man was laying muskrat traps. Um, but he didn't call the police because he thought they would confiscate him tra- his traps. So he didn't report it. A few days later, a college student 
um, spotted a rabbit running into the underbrush. Um, knowing there are animal traps there, he stopped his car to investigate and discovered the body. Um, and apparently he was also reluctant to have contact with the police, but then reported the body the next day. So it was like several days before that was discovering, but the, it was not the boy. They were pretty sure it wasn't him because Stephen had a healed arm fra fracture that he'd received earlier and the body didn't, of the boy did not have it. Their footprints also didn't match. Um, and then in 2003, they did DNA testing and Stephen was not the boy in the box, but um, yeah, so he's not the boy and then no one's ever found the identity of him either. But in 2009, a man named John Barnes, um, he lived, is from Kalkaska, Michigan. Um, he, he suspected he was Stephen Damon for some reason. Um, it kind of said he was just like the black sheep of this family. And even though he had birth certificates and stuff from his dad, he had, um, he just for some reason thought he was him. Um, but eventually they did DNA testing and they found that he was, there's no match. So he's just some guy, like he... He wasn't related at all to the sister or anything. Mm -hmm. um, so basically, there are several like different theories that could be what happened to him. Um, so the first one is that he just like wandered off because he was two and a half years old, and they think some people think maybe he was just like pushing her somewhere, and he got distracted and just left. Um, that maybe since he was so young, he just like fell into a manhole or went in front of a car and no one like reported it because they didn't want to be charged with anything or he ended up in a pond or well or something. Um, people think though, the reason they think maybe it's not this is because like, why has his body never been found? I thought if he fell into a well, that's or something like that. That's really likely. And then people like a big question of it is like, could he have even pushed a stroller at a, as a two year old? Um, cause some of those, I think they're thinking like the, old and big yeah, like the prim or whatever this you was know 1950s yeah so like i'm guessing like those really like the more like yeah, yeah. arched ones yeah so like now it might be a little easier but um but he could have pushed it anyways and then um it was also like 300 feet so like um he maybe could have pushed it a few feet but like 300 feet is a pretty right. large distance for a kid to push a stroller. Um, the next theory is um, a neighbor came forward saying she believed that the mother was involved because she said that the mother had a violent past. Well, um, it said that like there was medical records that he had a arm fracture and then he'd been bruised up before, but he was also like two years old. So I don't really think that's fair to say. Like there was like fallen yeah like and it wasn't multiple like the regular signs um so the neighbor said that steven screamed and cried all the time and his mom made him wash his own diapers um and she also alleged physical abuse um her husband reported all this to the police but the police just said to mind his own business because kind of just sounds like she was just like oh he screamed and cried all the time but he was like a two-year-old so he right. just was like a regular two-year-old and she didn't like kids or she didn't like approve of the way that the mother did things um 
they thought like they went to his house apparently they said they smelled something and he they put in a parkway in their house a while after his disappearance so they think he was buried under there but i i don't know that doesn't seem likely some people think she like orchestrated it like for um like someone to have someone kidnap him but i don't know i don't that doesn't seem super likely to me but um and then the last the last um like bigger theory is that like um People speculate that it was related to Peter Weinberger. Um, so he was just a month old, though, when he was kidnapped. Um, from his home, five miles away in Westbury, New York, which is five miles from East Meadow, on July 4th of 1956, his mother put him in a carriage on the front porch, went inside while he slept. She came out a few minutes later, found him gone, and a ransom note in this place. But on August 23rd, they found the truck driver was arrested for the crime. He had kidnapped the baby just to get money, basically. He just wanted to pay off, like, some of his debts. So, mm -hmm. um, and he just, like, he got really scared, panicked of all the attention, and just abandoned the baby, and then he just passed away because of that. Um, and he was convicted of um, kidnapping and murder a year later. So, I mean, it could have happened because this is, like, a year after the other disappearance, but... Um, it's not, like, they sit, they live kind of close, and, like, they're both disappeared on a holiday, um, Peter on Independence Day and Stephen on Halloween, but it seems like they're not super connected to me. That's just, like, what I found. Someone said maybe this could be it, but, um, but Angelo, the driver, was sentenced to death in 1958, so, um, and it could just be, like, the most e the simplest answer is he just like wandered off or whatever. Right. But um, the one that I think is the most interesting and also makes sense to me a lot is like that he was either sold into an illegal adoption rig or somehow like kidnapped, adopted, and raised in a family or something like that. Um, because like he just wouldn't have known he's a missing person. Um, the speculation is that like someone they went to kidnap both the kids because they just saw them standing there um but it was too hard to take both and they just left the baby so there's like not really a witness because he could technically even though he's only two and a half he could like be a witness to something um or they just like preferred him or whatever um and that makes sense that would probably be why they never found anything um because i feel like if he just wandered off it'd be really easy to find him unless he did like fall into a well because he wasn't like like, tried to be hidden, so I kind of just think he's, like, raised as, kidnapped and raised as a, someone else's child, or, and he has no idea of his own identity, um, and he's just out there somewhere, so, and he's never been found, there's no, been no big leads on it, so it's just kind of like, he's disappeared, so, and that's it, that's Stephen hmm. Damon, Stephen Craig Damon. Okay. Now you can do yours. Yeah. Also, I'm sorry if you guys can hear thudding in the background. We're doing this in the basement, and so there's people walking up on the top <laughs> floor and, like, moving things. Um, okay, so the case that I found uh, is called The Disappearance of the Sodder Children. Um, so this happened on Christmas Eve in 1945. Um, so on December 24th, the Sodder home caught fire. Uh, they lived in Fayetteville, West Virginia. Um, the owners, George and Jeannie Sauter, lived there with nine of their ten children. Um, one of their ten was off 
uh, serving the war, war at the time. So there was only nine in the house. Um, the house caught fire. George and Jeannie and, their, and four of their nine children escaped, but the other five didn't make it out. And because of the and the bodies of the five children were never found, so it's thought that perhaps they managed to escape somehow. Um, there were claims that the five children were spotted in different locations, um, which led the parents to believe that their children might still be alive. Um, the house was never rebuilt. Instead, it was turned into a memorial garden for their lost children. Um, after the parents believed their children to be alive, they did put up, put up pictures of them um, and offered a reward for any information about the children or anything that would really help um, close the case or just with the case in general. And the pictures remain on the, remained on, the, on State Route 16 until the death of the mother in 1889. So besides the claims of other people spying the missing Sodder children, the Sodders told of multiple strange occurrences that took place before and during the fire. Uh, the fire department said that the fire was caused from something electrical because the house had recently been rewired and inspected. Um, but the hu husband and wife never believed it because, or no, they believed it to be arson because they suspected that the children could have been taken by the Sicilian Mafia. That's how we pronounced it before, right? I think so. Um, which is a crime syndicate um, in Italy. And they theorized this because George was very outspoken about his thoughts about Benito Mussolini. That's how you say it. Um, who was an Italian politician and journalist uh, who founded and led the National Fascist Party. Um, and he also had strong um, feelings about the fascist government in general. Um, so, George Sauter, and his name was actually, well, he was born as Giorgio Sudo, Sado, I don't know how to say it. Sado? Sado? I don't know. He immigrated to the United States with his older brother, um, and he worked on the railroad in Pennsylvania for a few years before becoming a driver in, in Smithers, West Virginia. Um, he met his wife, and she also immigrated from Italy um, sometime after he started working there. Um, and they settled in Fayetteville, which was a large population of Italian immigrants. Um, and then in 1823, they had the first of their 10 children. Uh, George owned a business, a trucking company, and had become very well respected. Um, and his, this were his strong opinions about Benito Mussolini. Um, it caused conflict between himself and a lot of other immigrants. So mm. he already kind of had enemies in that way, which may lead to some of the stuff that happened later. Uh, so in, in 1943, the last of the 10 children were born. Um, and like I said, one left to serve in the military, which was why there's only nine present during the fire. So, the strange events leading up to the fire, um, the following year, Mussolini was deposed and executed, um, and because of Sauter's hard feelings towards the dictator, it caused other problems to arise that may have related to the house fire and the missing children. So, in October of 1945, a visiting life insurance salesman warned Sauter that his uh, house would go up in smoke and your children are going to be destroyed, attributing this all to the dirty remarks you have been making about Mussolini, and that's all in quotations. Hmm. Um, and then a bit later, someone seeking work visited George um, at the back of his house where he was looking, at, like inspecting or looking at the fuse boxes, and the guy had said that a pair of fuse boxes would cause a fire someday. Um, and then on top of those two events, his sons had also noticed a strange car parked along the main highway 
um, and the people inside would watch the younger Sadar children as they returned from school. And that all this was, you know, leading up to the point um, of Christmas Eve when the fire took place. So on Christmas Eve, a phone rang at 12.30 a.m. Uh, Jeannie woke. I just realized maybe Jenny, but I've been pronouncing it Jeannie because of how it's... I think that's Jeannie. Either way. <laughs> <laughs> she woke and answered uh, the phone. Uh, it was a strange woman, and Jeannie could hear laughter and clinking of glasses in the background. Uh, Jeannie hung up, saying that she had the wrong number, and know that the woman had a weird laugh, which doesn't really count towards anything, but I think just, you know, given it's the creepy. circumstances, if you get a call at, you know, 1230 in the morning. <laughs> um, anyway, so Jean went to bed, or she returned to bed, um, but she noticed on her way there that the lights were still on, the curtains were not drawn, which was something that the children usually took care of before bed, and especially because um, some of the children had stayed up late to wait for an older sibling that mm-hmm. was coming home from work, so they were technically supposed to do it, but she kind of ignored it because they had fallen asleep on the couch, and the rest of the children, she assumed, had gone up to the attic where they slept. So she turned out the lights and went back to bed. At one in the morning, uh, she woke again to hear something hitting the roof with a loud bang. And she then heard rolling, but nothing happened afterwards, so she went back to sleep. And then shortly after, she woke to smell smoke and found George's office on fire around the telephone line and fuse box. Hmm. Uh, the parents, along with four other children, fled the house. Um, so they yelled to the remaining five, but they heard nothing, and they could not be, and the children could not be breached because the stairs were on fire. Um, so one of their kids who had escaped, I think they said it was a daughter, um, oh no, this was, so the, what, the daughter ran off to, um, use a neighbor's phone to call a fire department because their own home phone wasn't working, um, and a driver had also called. A driver passing by also called the um, fire department, but the operator couldn't, didn't answer, or the phone was broken. They're not really sure. Mm-hmm. But um, anyways, uh, so when they called for the five remaining children, didn't hear anything. One of the children who did escape did say when the police first interviewed him, they went to the attic to call his siblings, um, but then later changed his story to say he actually didn't see them and only called for them. So not really sure why he changed his story. Mm-hmm. I don't think it really accounts to anything again, but... Is he younger, too? I think so. It was... I mean, I think all our kids were, like, either teenagers or okay, younger. Yeah, so I would, I would it could think... could be just, like, distraught. Shock. Yeah. Of, yeah. It, it, I don't think it was anything at all, but... Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, so, like I said, the phone didn't work. The kid went to the neighbors to call. Um, they eventually reached the fire department, um, but during this time where they were trying to... Uh, reach them. George and his sons tried to find the ladder um, that was usually positioned against the house, but they couldn't find it. So instead, George climbed up to the attic from the outside, broke the window, um, but he still couldn't see or reach his kids that were inside. And then the water barrel that they also used to put out fires was frozen solid, so they didn't have that. Um, And George had also tried to use both of his trucks from his business to climb to the attic, but now they're worked, even though they worked just the previous day. Um, so they were unable to actually reach the other five children and watched as the house collapsed over a period of 45 minutes. And during that time, they believed their children to be dead. Um, but in this 45 minutes, the fire department, although they were reached, 
they didn't respond till later in the morning and it was because well one because the staff was limited because of the war and because the fire chief he explained that he couldn't drive the fire truck so he had to wait till someone who could drive was available which extended their wait time which hmm. I don't and I, I just feel like if you're a fire chief you should <laughs> <laughs> no like I guess right. I don't know how old he was he could have been like really old but anyways but still but it was 1945 yeah it was 1945 so I don't know how things were back yeah. then but <laughs> Um, so after the house's remains were searched, it was declared that the other children, um, that were inside the house burned, um, uh, and the firemen had told the family that there were bones found, but later recorded that they did find a few bone fragments and internal organs, but not, did not tell the family. Hmm. Um, but it was also noticed that the firemen's search was hasty, which I actually just remembered something that I didn't put in my notes. There was something that was saying, like, so the firemen who they mainly talked about, his name starts with an M, I think. I don't remember the name of it right now. But it was the brother of the mom, I think. Hmm. And he was kind of the one that was like, oh, like, nothing was found, or like that. And I remember, like, say, it said somewhere in the article that there was, like, a tin box or something like that, that he hid a piece of meat in it or something like that to try to make the family believe that, like, the kids had actually perished and that was just a part of it. Like, I don't, I didn't, and I think it was, like, one of those things where I think he was trying to, like, get them just to drop it because, like, mm-hmm. nothing was found. I don't really know. I didn't read that part too much. I don't know. That was just a side note. I just remembered. It was just kind of weird. Because, yeah, that is weird. Yeah. Anyways. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like I said, the five children were never found and declared dead. Um, but that's also assuming that the fire was hot enough to burn the bodies completely. Um, so, after the house had been turned into a memorial garden, it was found that the fire was an accident caused from faulty wiring um the local coroner had called for an autopsy and one of the jurors yeah okay that's right sorry um so I had to come from the autopsy but it also said one of the jurors was one of the men who had said that his house would be burned down and his children destroyed for his remarks against Mussolini hmm. so I'm also still confused is and I'm gonna look that up really quick if it is jurors an autopsy term so I didn't. I didn't think it Ours, was, but like that's strange. They use it kind of weirdly in their. The coroner's jury is a body convent who sit. Oh, I think it might be assistant. Maybe. Oh, okay. I, I think it might be an assistant to the coroner, unless I'm wrong. Okay, that makes a lot more sense. Yeah. <laughs> I was trying to like. I got you. Yeah. yeah. Anyways, <laughs> so his assistant, I guess, was one of the men that threatened George before the fire. Hmm. So the aftermath after the fire. After the rebuilding of their lives, the family did start to question the evidence leading up to the fire. Uh, the power technically should have gone out because they kept their Christmas lights on, canceling out the par- canceling out the probability of faulty wiring. Mm-hmm. Just because, you know, if you have a lot of Christmas lights on, like you would think that they would have some type of power outage or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and their house was just recently rewired and inspected and said it was perfectly fine. Um, they found their missing ladder. At the bottom of an embankment, 75 feet away. Um, obviously, you don't know how it got there. A telephone repairman told the, so- uh, the Sauter family that the phone line was not ruined from the fire, but cut by someone who was able to climb 14 feet up the pole and reach two feet out to the wiring. Um, okay. And there was a man identified by the neighbors who had stolen a block and tackle from the property, and he was arrested. The man confessed to the theft and said that he was the one who cut the phone line, but he thought it was the power line. Um, but he also denied to being the cause of the fire. 
I'm also still confused why he was trying to cut the power line. Right. <laughs> um, but it said the suspect was never on record. So the guy that they arrested, they was never actually on record. So it was, it's kind of impossible to declare whether or not he actually existed or if he was actually at fault because it didn't mm-hmm. have any written claim or whatever. Um, and yeah, there was no solid explanation as to why he was trying to cut the utility lines. Um, Jeannie was also skeptical to the fact that none of the children's remains were found when appliances were still recognizable and intact. Um, and she had used a similar story of another family who had perished in a fire and kind of like cross-referenced it with their own. And in that instance, the family's bodies were found or the remains were found. So there should have been something left behind. And she had even tried an experiment, um, where she burned a pile of animal bones to see if they would be consumed by the fire, but they weren't, um... And then, like, a little fact that I found in quotations was that an employee of a local crematorium she contacted told her that the human bones remain even after bodies are burned at 2,000 degrees Celsius or Fahrenheit in 1,090 degrees Celsius for two hours, far longer and hotter than the house fire could have been. So, there should have been something, technically. Hmm. Um, which kind of makes them think that right, they escaped or something. Um, and then their trucks, they believe their trucks could have been tampered with, but um, one of George's son-in-laws did say that perhaps they flooded the engines while they tried to start the trucks too fast. So they're not really sure if that was actually tampered with or not. Um, and then there was a call from the random woman, which the uh, police officers did find her. They tracked her down and found her, but she confirmed that she had dialed the wrong number, so that was also a dead end. Um, it was also thought that the object that had hit the roof was a pineapple bomb, um, which is like, I think it's just a different term used for a type of explosive in the war. Mm-hmm. Um, and it said that it was hidden in a snowball or something of the like when people, when someone was throwing it at the house, mm-hmm. um, because when the snow melted or the ice melted around it, it was found, I think it's a genie found it in a brush nearby mm-hmm. and it was a bomb or whatever, but so that's what they're thinking could have hit the roof. Um, and that all in the throwing of the snowball was observed by a driver, um, but that also had led the par- the parents to believe that the fire started on the roof and not inside, just because if, I think because if something was being thrown at the house, because also, I don't know if it said if the bomb actually went off. Maybe it did, and that's why they thought it started, um, from the roof. Sorry, I'm reading. Yeah, I don't know. They didn't really specify. I'm guessing it went off, though. It had to have if they thought mm-hmm. it started from the roof. Right. Um, and then, kind of just tie up. There's still, obviously, they still don't know what happened. Um, and some of the children today are still posting the article in hopes to find something. But it did say that at one point years later that George saw a picture of a girl published in a ballet magazine, um, I think by New York Times or something like that. And that's not the correct uh, name of it but anyways he saw a picture of a girl in a ballet um uniform and it looked a lot like one of his missing daughters so Mm -hmm. he drove all the way there um and demanded to see her but the parents refused to let him see her for obvious reasons (laughs) strange man showing up and demand to see her daughter yeah um but yeah so that's kind of where it ended i mean there's a little bit more information because i think i don't know what happened to it because i definitely noted it somewhere that i think they received a letter. Like a ransom? Yeah, it's a, no, it's another letter they received 
Thank you. So there was, a, there was a letter received in 1967, it looks like. Um, and it says a woman there had written to the family saying that Lewis had revealed his true identity to her one night. I don't know who Lewis is. Oh, it must be her significant other or something. Or like a relative. Um, but anyways, he revealed his true identity to her one night after having too much to drink. And she believed that he and Maurice were both living in Texas somewhere. Okay, maybe I should have read before that because I also don't know who Maurice is. <laughs> Um, but anyways, um, and it just kind of said that George heard later that a relative of Jeannie's in Florida had children that looked similar to his. The relative had to prove that the children were his own before George was satisfied. And in 1967, George went to Houston, or the Houston area to investigate another tip. A woman there had written to the family saying that Lewis had revealed his true identity to her one night. Oh wait, I just read that part. Where the heck was I reading then? Anyways, <laughs> but they had received another letter. Um, later that year that brought the Sutters, or that made the Sutters believe, um, was the most credible evidence that at least Lewis was still alive. Oh, Lewis was, Lewis was the name of the son. Okay. Got it. <laughs> <laughs> I was very confused for a second. This is why I should have read better, but it's fine. It's fine. Anyways, so they, I think it, it looks like they were, they received a letter from one of the siblings, or someone that might have been one of the siblings, or someone mm-hmm. that knew him, and basically... The case was invested further later on, but no new, new information turned up. And then, um, oh yeah, we're here. However, in the 1960s, the family did receive a picture of a boy who they think might have been one of the missing sons as an adult. And then, yeah, this, the case is still going on today. And hmm. the remaining siblings are still trying to, they're still posting things. and. That's interesting. And That's interesting that they would just, like, take, kidnap the children, I guess. Yeah, I'm sorry. And not demand anything instead of just kill them but right which but i guess like, technically it could just be unfortunate situations but which i also i mean i just kind of thought of this because if they if the five children went up to the attic and that fire happened later in the night the kids just maybe ran away before we, the fire even started Ooh, what if they were the ones that started the fire <laughs> the little kids <laughs> i don't know how old they were but i think it was the five youngest it sounds like yeah so like <laughs> interesting maybe but yeah I don't know. Huh. Yeah. It's interesting, though. Yeah, that is interesting. I definitely should have read better, though, because I still like... I mean, it's fine. But, yeah. Um, did you... You had a third one, right? Oh, it's... Or a second one, I mean. I think we're... I think that's... That's good for me. Yeah, I don't think we can... That's fine. I didn't know if you wanted to share a third one or a second one or not. No, I just I didn't do my second one. It's fine. I just just had the title. (laughs) It's fine. I'll save it. Then I don't have to do it next time. Okay, that's good. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that's it. Yeah. Um, um, well, I guess thanks for watching or listening, whichever one you do. Yep, you're doing. Um, you can subscribe to us on YouTube. Yeah, subscribe to us. Share us on, we're on Instagram, so you can go follow us there. Um, but yeah, this is maybe a rough start for a first <laughs> podcast, but it's fine. Yeah. Um, and we're still very obviously working on our set, which is why there's just a blank wall right yeah. here. <laughs> but it's fine. Um, but yeah, thanks for coming. Yeah, thanks. <laughs>